ain't got a right to tell us how to worship So let's tell the government to get up out of churches We ain't choking no more Tell them my hopes in the Lord The time for speaking is past It's time to open the doors If you ain't got no right to tell us how to worship So let's tell the government to get up out of service We ain't choking no more Tell them my hopes in the Lord The time for speaking is past So let's reopen the doors Okay, yes, I have sound at the bottom. Sometimes you run a diagnostic. Anyway, guys, if you're just listening now, you'll see, you'll find out that I didn't have sound for about 15 to 20 minutes of my live stream, which is okay. You know why? Because I mistitled the episode with the wrong number. I put it as episode 44. This is actually episode 45, the only downside to it is that I was talking for like 20 minutes straight without anyone telling me that I didn't have any sound and then it took another 20 minutes to figure out the problem. So guys, if you want, you can follow me on Instagram at bro. Here's the thing or on Twitter at devastator 48. Maybe I'm going to try to be more active on Twitter, but I still hate it. Even though Elon Musk owns it. Oh, tonight we're going to look at the left endorsing the use of horse drugs. And I'm going to get into that real quick. Now guys, comment, share, like the video, all that stuff, please, please. Oh, Oh, that's the wrong thing. First thing we're going to look at is on rebel news. They made an article about vice giving info on how to perform abortions yourself, including abortion pills made with ingredients used to treat horses. They were condemned, but doubled down. Um, so what is amazing about this? And you can read the whole article. I went through it a little more, but basically this drug misoprostol is relatively easy to acquire from veterinary sources since in addition to medically inducing abortions, it's also used to treat ulcers in horses. And so obviously the irony is not lost on anyone who has been paying attention for the last two years. Uh, we were attacked with great vitriol and mockery for taking a drug or wanting to take a drug that is used as a horse dewormer, but always clearly neglecting and misrepresenting what the drug ivermectin actually did, which was what? Um, or, sorry, what its other uses were for, which it was always for human use. There's always been human use ivermectin. But now, because Roe v. Wade maybe overturned or is being overturned, whatever. It's now going to be okay to take a horse drug that is so harsh for you that it will cause you to have a miscarriage. So if you take it deliberately, you will kill your baby, which is what you're doing. If you do this, you are murdering your child and no law will ever stop that. So, Guys, I 
am going to do a sermon review, and I'm I I I, I, I kind of straight I kind of blew through this horse thing, horse drug thing quick this time because I just saying everything I said the last time. I don't have a script, so I can't just repeat it. So anyway, I am flying through. I didn't start the sermon review, thankfully. So guys, this is from a, a local church in Calgary uh, called C3 Church, which C3 Church is a global entity, but they have satellite churches. Well, actually, satellite church isn't the proper term, but they have churches all over the world. Uh, I believe they started in Australia, and uh, we're going to go through their youth pastor's service uh, from March 27th, I believe it is. Uh, you can go to the C3 Calgary Church to watch any of the content if you want after this uh, and see if it's just a fluke or not or or whatever. So one thing I will say is you should plug your ears right off the bat. And for some reason at this moment, the screen is black. That's not, um, that's not, uh, that's not on my end. That's the video. Uh, for some reason it's just dark there. And then when they're transitioning from music to that, but I wanted you guys to hear what she says while the music's still going. Um, so the message hasn't actually started yet, but it's going to be loud. So just be careful for that. It will be loud. Chase is after me, so God, we thank you today. Let's just take a moment to lift up the name of Jesus, despite what's going on in your world today. God, we thank you that you are good, that you are faithful, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, we thank you that your goodness and your mercy pursues us. So right off the bat, that's what I wanted you guys to hear. Um, generally speaking, when a church says, and she's thanking God for this, first of all, she's thanking God for uh, giving us, giving them a new, fresh word. Now, the Bible contains all things pertaining to life and godliness. It is the word of God that points us to what God wanted us to know. And it is inerrant and it is perfect. And um, I, I, I just have this belief that if you don't have one of these memorized from front to back, why are you looking for new fresh words? What is this word from the Lord that is new and fresh that you need if you don't understand this completely? And so that's right off the bat. I'm, I'm not liking that. I'm not liking the new fresh word terminology. I 
don't know we why. We submit to your plans, to your voice, to your leading. Holy Spirit. Remember that all the power um, that these people seek comes from the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit is there to, I'm, I'm not even sure really at this church. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it work itself out. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make too many comments right off the bat, actually, but um, there's there's something there's something up with the focus on the Holy Spirit already, and what His purposes are. Come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated this morning. So remember, the Holy Spirit's primary work is to indwell believers so that they would believe on Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And so, um, that is the primary function of the Holy Spirit, just right off the bat. I just, just as a precursor to what she's about to say. I'm constantly just reminded of that lately, that there really is nothing that we could ever do. There's nothing that I could ever do in my own strength or in my own words. Or in so I guess right off the bat, uh, just to establish, uh, she is a youth pastor. This is a Sunday morning, and she's uh, preaching um to a congregation uh when first timothy 3 explicitly uh teaches that female pastors don't exist and that um women are not to teach in churches uh to men and so if this is a sunday morning congregation uh this woman is in error it's it's simple and so if you're denying the word of God on that, you've already put it down one step in its authority to speak into your life. If you are going to say that that's just a cultural argument or that that's just how it was back then because they didn't let women do anything, that that is the standard rebuttal to this, but it does not change what 1 Timothy 3 says. In my own, with my own charisma or, or energy to manufacture what the Holy Spirit can do. And let me tell you, that is good news. And uh, I just believe that God has a word for every single person here this morning. And um, I, I've said this before, but you don't need a word from me today. You need a word from God. And I just believe that he wants to speak to you. Uh, and to All right. We've got a word from God coming, which is awesome. Um, so I'm really hoping for a Bible verse very quickly uh, so that we can have the word of God given to us. Um, not a word from God, but the word from God given to us. That's what, that's what we're, that's what we're hoping she does. You know, maybe she's, um, maybe she's just off on the female pastor issue, 
but uh, she's gonna she's gonna teach us something. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's what's gonna happen. Encourage you through his word. Uh, my name's Sarana. If we've never had the uh, privilege of meeting before, I'm the youth pastor here, like Pastor Lauren said, at C3 Calgary. Um, I was actually in Edmonton uh, the last couple days with my friend Melissa here, and uh, I got to speak at a youth group in Edmonton. It's a church called North Point, and uh, it was so much fun. They were doing a youth all-nighter, so they Story. were for a full 24 hours. This will stay the whole time. This will be the first of many personal anecdotes um, and, 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 and personal stories um, and how that's going to relate eventually to the Bible verse that she is going to get to. But realistically, what you're going to find, and I, I don't mean to um, I don't mean to front load this so that you're already thinking negatively, but I believe she found the Bible verses so that she could tell these stories, if that makes sense. Not to accuse her of anything, but, but, uh, but, um, yeah, these personal anecdotes are, are padded by scripture, not, not the other way around. Does that make sense? We should be teaching and exegeting the text, not not telling stories and backing up how you feel with Bible verses. Uh, but it was just so awesome to see um, a bunch of teenagers having fun and laughing. Um, actually, probably a good majority of the students that were at this event were not uh, Christian kids. And uh, the pastor was not really apologizing to me, but she was, you know, kind of giving me the rundown before. And I said, I think that is incredible that you have a bunch of teenagers in the city who, for whatever reason, whether it's um, to come and meet with God or just to hang out with their friends, are in the house of God. They're hearing the word of God being preached. So it would be a good thing to have a, 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 a youth group filled with unbelievers if you were preaching the word of God to them and evangelizing them. Now... You could argue that um, youth group should be for the uh, the kids of the people who already attend to that attend that church, and but I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say you shouldn't be able to bring friends to to youth group, but but um, I think yeah she's she's very impressed that uh, that there's unbelieving kids there, which. Which is which is fine, I guess, but it seems like there isn't going to be an emphasis on on how amazing that is. Maybe maybe this maybe this whole break I just did was a waste of time. Let's find out. That to me is the best news, um, and it was so much fun. There was uh, a little over two hundred students there, and and the altars were filled at the end. And um, I want to talk about a little bit more on that in a moment, but it was. Uh, Amazing, and, and in second service today, we have week two of Alpha. We have our students, a little over 30, who are going through Youth Alpha. So I took Alpha. Um, I took the old course, the original course with, with Nikki Gumbel, and then went to this other dude named Jamie something-something. I can't remember. 
Um, I saw an advertisement for that one when I took Alpha the second time. And now it's back to a new and updated Nikki Gumbel version. I'm not sure if this one is uh, is very good. Um, Alpha is also used in uh, Catholic churches. And uh, I actually spoke briefly at an Alpha conference. Not like as a real speaker. Just came up and talked about how great I thought it was. Like This is like a decade ago. And, um, but what I learned was, uh, alpha is being used by Roman Catholics to amalgamate people back into Rome. Now that's not maybe alpha's purpose, but the, what I was taught was, um, alpha is there to get people just to go back to the church that they, they grew up in if they had one. So it's not about, uh, coming to true saving faith. It's just go back to your church. And the leaders in Alpha aren't even allowed to um, disagree with any statements or e- or really evangelize. So uh, I'm not a big fan of, 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 of the current, current Alpha program. Um, I would highly recommend uh, fundals of, Fundamentals of the Faith uh, from Grace Community Church. There's an entire sermon series on on the grace to you app under the topical messages topical sermons and it's called fundamentals of the faith and those sermons will give you a fantastic breakdown of uh, of 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 important and relevant issues like how am i saved how did the canon of the bible uh, how was the canon of the new testament made all these big issues. So anyway, I'd recommend that to you over Alpha. Man, that's a miracle to me, and I'm, I'm so grateful for um, that course and that there are young people who are building a firm foundation in Christ. It's amazing. I want to ask you a question. Today, I want you to think about this, and uh, I'm sure everyone will have a different answer, but I want you to think about... So I'm going to address this comment, uh, Stacy. Um, she says, I know many female pastors. <sighs> They're definitely under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, definitely. H- how? What, is, what does definitely mean? How do you know? Because of, because of how they talk on a Sunday? They are in direct defiance to 1 Timothy 3 when they preach in front of a congregation that has men. So, I am putting God in a box. It's a rectangle. It's Bible-shaped. And this is what God wanted me to know about him. And he says that female pastors aren't a thing. So, that's what we have to go with. And so, I will put God in a box. The box is exactly what he gave us to know him from. Um, And you say God can use anyone to teach the gospel. Correct. God can use anyone he wants to teach the Bible. Or, sorry, to teach the gospel. In the specific roles that he has told them that they can fulfill. And what I have found, and uh, um, this is, mm, spoiler alert, but what I have found is, I've never listened to a female pastor 
preach the gospel from the pulpit. Not once, not ever. I have never heard them rightly explain the Bible to a congregation, ever. And this is not going to be any different. We are going to see this woman not handle the Bible at all. And in fact, she's going to use a translation that isn't a translation at all because it has a key phrase in it that she obviously wanted to use um, and it probably is linked to the movie Inside Out. So, yeah, no. Um, generally speaking, women that are female pastors are not, are not preaching the gospel. So, yes, to reiterate, God can use anyone they want to teach the gospel. If you are in direct disobedience to God and his role for your entire gender. He's not going to bless your ministry because you're disobeying him. It's like, it's like looking at the old Testament and seeing some of these Kings offer sacrifices to God on altars when they're not priests and thinking that God is going to honor that. It's the same thing. Does he honor it in the Old Testament? No. They get they get punished. I'm going to I'm going to carry on. Sorry. So, I need to backtrack just a little bit. We're at 4358. It's amazing. I want to ask you a question. Today, I want you to think about this, and uh, I'm sure everyone will, will have a different answer, but I want you to think about what is one thing that makes you happy? Think about it for a moment. What's one thing that makes you just really happy? There's a few things that make me happy. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is mornings. I love mornings. Okay, so I'm going to speed this up. Uh, just I'm going to move it up to uh, 1.25. So sorry if you listen to this faster. She's going to sound really fast. So uh, just to close in on what she said, she loves mornings. It's one thing that makes her happy. She asked the congregation, what's one thing that makes you happy? I love getting up early so much so that I, I have a tattoo that says, good morning. I showed my mom and she thought it was pretty weird. But I just love getting up in the morning. I love the idea of a new day in the sun and a my morning coffee. I love just waking up. I normally shoot out of bed. And uh, for all of you in the in the room here this morning, I could probably ask 10 different people, you know, what's something that makes you really happy? And I would probably get 10 very different answers. For the student. Right now, so far, what we've gotten is a TED talk with mild Christian undertones, right? on Friday night I asked you know for some of them for some of you in the room it's when you get to grade 12 and you finally get to get out of your parents house and and work and save and, and maybe travel and gosh I know then I'll be happy maybe for some of you here today it's I I know once I start that business and I and I get to where I want to I want to go I'll, I'll, I'll be happy maybe for some of you it's when you finally get a boyfriend or a girlfriend but maybe if I wasn't married to the person I'm married to I know for sure I'd be happy maybe it's getting to X amount of dollars or having your dream home whatever it is man finally I know then I will be happy 
and you're probably waiting for me to tell you now that you know it's really only God that can make you happy but I actually don't think that's true so think about some of the things she just listed and I, I don't even know what the end point is but she listed you know uh, basically a bunch of things that people would make idols in their lives, right? So, like, trying to get out of a marriage you're not content with. Um, really, what you could think this this message is going to be about, what she's teeing it up for, is that, uh, is, like, the struggle with discontentment. Um, and that, and that if you have Christ, you should be content in Him. Um, but you just heard it there. She said, uh, no, that's not what I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm going to tell you something different. So let's see here. Let's hear it. And you're probably waiting for me to tell you now that, no, it's really only God that can make you happy, but I actually don't think that's true. It is only God that can make you happy. Joyous, we'll say. Maybe that's not what you're expecting me to say. I actually think that God loves the things that make us happy. Okay, so can we just think about that? Um... The way that this, she set this up, and I don't even know if she meant to do this. I don't want to attack what I think she's trying to say. But the way that this looks is, you just said that, think about one thing that makes you happy. Then you said, as an example, um, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, if I could just get out of this bad marriage I'm in, then I could be happy. God hates divorce. And we're not talking about all the reasons, we're not talking about the reasons you can get divorced. This person is just discontent in their marriage and they want out. And now you've also now said that God um, loves the things that make us happy. Well, God hates divorce. And so I hope you're not trying to say that God would love the divorce. Now, if you're not trying to say that, it's just unclear. Okay. So if, 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 if this youth pastor from C3 Calgary ever watches this, which I highly doubt she will, if she watches this, I, I, I don't think that you believe that divorce uh, would be good um, because it would make someone happy. And then therefore, because God loves the things that make us happy, you would be okay, that he would be okay with that divorce. I'm sure you believe that God hates divorce um, and that you're not, you're, not, you're not meaning to say that. Man, the things that make you smile, that make you light up. And for some of you, that could be writing, it could be painting, it could be creating, it could be when you're playing sports, it could be when you're with friends, it could be when your mom makes your favorite meal, it could be the Christmas season. I believe that God loves the things that make you happy. Why? Because God is the one who took the time to create you. The Bible says that he formed us in our mother's womb. He had every day of our lives written in his book before we even took our first step, before we even took our first breath. So there's almost too much to cover there, but her, her main point is God, of course, God loves the things you love. If he didn't, he wouldn't have made you the way that you were from birth. Um, we are born dead in our sins and trespasses. We are born as reprobates who are opposed to God. That is what the Bible teaches. You were born dead in your sins 
and trespasses. Um, is it Romans 3.23? Is that it? No, that's for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sorry. Um, but look at, and, 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 and I always go here, but for the, God hates unrighteousness and he knows his people from birth. Sure. But you are telling this to everyone in a congregation that God loves what they love because he created them. Um, what if I love prostitution and hard drugs? Now, obvious, again, I'm taking this to its logical conclusion. God wouldn't have created me that way. If, if, or God, God loves what I love because, and he created me that way. Now, what else does that remind you of? That sounds like a setup for an argument for justifying your homosexual sin. Now, I don't know where she stands on that. It doesn't matter. But, but if God loves what you love and he created you that way, that's, that's how you know he loves what you love then why wouldn't he love my boyfriend, Steve, or something? If I love this man as a homosexual, well, God created me that way, and he loves what I love. This is not good. We're not off to a good start. So yeah, I believe that God loves the things that make you light up because he's the one who made you. He knows you. He breathed breath into your lungs. He created you and me with our unique personalities, strengths, weaknesses, likes, dislikes. I'll never forget, I got a, my first Kate Spade purse when I was maybe 14 or 15. Kate Spade is a brand. So God does know our likes and dislikes. Now, here's another anecdotal story about her getting a purse. So, again, we are... When did this start? How long, how long has this been going? 10, 10, 12 minutes, maybe? I don't, I don't want to misrepresent it. I can't, I can't remember. I should have been tracking that. But we're into two anecdotal stories. And she has alluded to some scripture. But we haven't gotten to the text that she's actually going to be drawing her points from. Or, or what she says she's going to be drawing her points from. We're still not there. We're into another anecdotal story. with Kate Spade and my mom got me one for my birthday and it um, had my initials engraved on it and I just thought like this is it I've, I've arrived and um, I, I put it away and found that purse maybe three years ago three or four years ago and um, had this moment where I felt like God didn't really know me and I felt God ask me encourage me to um so that was an interesting, I'm not, I'm not sure how that lines up. She found the purse and then she had this feeling that God, um, didn't know her. I'm not, I don't know what the connection was there for her. Uh, 
maybe I'm missing something, but I did. She didn't make it like a clear connection for on my end. Um, I, I, I don't really understand, but, but now, now we're going to get into God talking to her directly to do something that felt kind of weird inside this purse there's this little marketing thing that they do where you open it up and you, you take out this piece of paper and it says 25 things that I forget the person's name but Sharon loves whatever her name was and it was 25 things and it was this cute thing like dancing in the rain the smell of fresh library books whoever this person was I, I don't know and, and I remember God saying to me I want you to do that so God said to her I want you to do that I want you to do this 25 things you like like um, what was it like a magazine test? It was uh, sorry, I can't remember where she got it from. But now, in different circles, when people say God told me this or God laid it on my heart, it could mean different things. Some people think they're hearing the audible voice of God, or they claim to be. And some people, it's more like um, it's more like uh, like a premonition. And so I'm not sure. I'm not sure where she's at on that, but it kind of sounds like God was talking to her directly. And I remember I sat in my room and I wrote down like maybe 15, 20 things that I love that were really special to me and that I enjoyed. I remember just crying and the whole time God saying to me, I know that about you because I created you. I know that those things are special to you. And I love that those are things that make you happy. So, I'm 15 years old. Actually, I'll make myself 17 because that would make more sense. I'm 17 years old. Not maybe now. You know, I'm 19 years old. Um, like, obviously, the things she's saying, I I can't even. I'm not going to do the story. I, the things she's saying, are not sins, but. Why can I not take this to my to its logical conclusion? And so, look at fact. You could use this argument to condone female preaching, which is forbidden by Paul in First Timothy three. And I, I'm, I'm not sure what it says in Titus, but in Titus it also has the roles for what an elder is: husband of one wife, so male. Um, but but anyway, um. Uh, uh, you could use her methodology for justifying anything you want. And, and, and also saying that, well, but God loves what I love and I love preaching to congregations. So how could it be wrong if God created me to have that desire? Because we have sinful desires, wrong desires, and we're supposed to fight against the flesh not embrace it because it makes us feel good and if it makes us feel good therefore it's from god that's not right it was this revelation of men i am known and loved and seen by the creator of the universe on a personal level i i believe that god loves the things that make you happy so many different things that make us happy in this room today but only one thing that brings us joy now, uh, someone in the comments said the whole message of the cross is about suffering. And that, that is a good, that is a good point. Um, could you imagine this message, what she's saying, coming from Paul while he's sitting in jail? 
his letter to the Philippians, I flipped there. I wasn't planning on going there. Um, but look at this. God wasn't giving him what made him happy. He gave Paul an extremely hard and painful life for the advancement of the gospel. And do you know when the gospel advances? When the Christians suffer, even under mild suffering. We have seen the church in Canada be emboldened and flourish because the gospel went out further than it ever has. And so look at what Paul says. You know, hold on. I just want to make sure I'm in the right spot. Look at, now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. His being in jail. This is Philippians 1.12. So that my chains in Christ have become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord because of my chains have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So, what do we know about him? Was God giving him what made him happy? No, he imprisoned him and took his freedom away and allowed him to be shackled. His chains in Christ is a reference to him being imprisoned. In fact, the NASB says, my imprisonment in Christ. Um, most translations would use a term like more like jailed. Uh, I think the new King James version also says my chains, which I really like because it's very literal and it makes sense. My chains, look at these chains on my hands. Does that sound like God was giving him what made him happy? This is the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul suffered his whole life stoned to death beaten many times and then yes phoebe in the comments keeps lighting it up for me but later on he says for for me to live is christ and to die is gain and he is saying that whether he lives or dies it is good and that is all he cares about he can either stay to preach the gospel more and endure more suffering where he can keep on living in heaven with Jesus when he's murdered for following Christ. We are to bring the lost sheep home to Christ, not worry about how sad we are and how, how, how how we need to focus on God making us happy this is not this is not what the bible teaches and so we're going to we're going to keep listening and that is only found in the presence of Jesus the title of my message today is called inside out everybody say inside out so this is a reference to a movie but you're also going to see where this comes from right away. It's from the message version of Psalm 16. We uh, are reading from the book of Psalms today. And um, 
I'm sure some of you have read from the book of Psalms before, but if you don't, if it's new to you, um, the book of Psalms is really cool. It's full of 150 uh, poems, songs, prayers, all written by a few different authors. Some of them are anonymous. We don't know who wrote them, but 73 of them are written by a man named King David. And we're going to be... So I think it's going to take a while for her to get to Psalm 16 because she's going to talk about David for a bit. We're looking at Psalm 16 today. And they're going to put it up uh, on the screen in just a moment. I, I, I really believe that God wants to speak to some people in this room today. On Friday night, the altars were... Only some. ...filled at the end. And the response was for, for anyone who felt like they didn't have joy. They had lost their joy. And for some... So she's talking about the youth, uh, the youth meetup in, uh, um, in Edmonton at at north point the altars were full so also there is no new testament altar um but anyway um so apparently what they do at, at these at these functions is that you know you 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 speak the message and then people are moved and then they come to the front and ask for prayer and um this was for people that didn't have joy in their life so so i believe her name is savannah i'm not sure how it's pronounced i'm sorry i apologize uh what can we give people that gives them joy what what do they need what do they need i hope that she's gonna get to it it was debilitating anxiety it was sleepless nights whatever it was they were standing at the front and they did not have joy and they were desperate to get it back and we were driving back to our hotel and, and melissa said to me man that was awesome but it also kind of makes me a bit sad that I stared at a bunch of teenagers who, man, they're 14, 15, 16 years old, and they don't have joy? What? Like that? It breaks my heart. And, um... So, she's emotionally moved here, but I will say, what can she give these kids that will give them real, lasting joy? Is she going to tell them what they need? That That's what we want many people not just teenagers are wrestling with like anxiety that does debilitate people and the thought of being joyful is not even possible because people are consumed with their anxiety and they walk around every day forget being joyful they're just trying to make it through and for some of you today I believe that God will invite you into an opportunity to take a step. Maybe that means or looks like asking for help, seeing a counselor. I believe that God put doctors, pastors, people, practical things to help us on this journey with our emotions, with our mental health. But for some of you today, I believe that God actually wants you to walk out of this place and leave behind a heaviness and an anxiety that you've been carrying and walking with for too long. And I just refuse to believe and accept the narrative 
that everyone's just going to be anxious forever and sad, and that just is what it is. Not on my watch. I will not see the teenagers in this church carry anxiety that they do not have to carry and walk with a sad... So what are you going to give them? Not on your watch? Give them what they need. ...and wear it like it's their clothing and carry it around like a suitcase. And I believe that God has the same for you today. He wants to give you joy in exchange for anxiety, peace in exchange for sleepless nights. How do we get he peace? Come on. Touch from the presence of the most high God that can set you free in a moment. What is that? What does that look it like? It look different for everybody. For some, it's a journey. For some, it, it is a moment. But don't you ever accept that you're meant to live a life that is just, you're doomed to sadness and you're doomed to anxiety or depression. I you're not. That's what God has for you. How? You can put that scripture up on the screen, but let's um let's pray together first. God, we love you. And we just believe that you are who you say you are. We thank you for the power in your word, God. We thank you and we believe today that your word is the infallible, unchanging word of God. And we thank you today that you have a fresh word for each person here, every family. God, I thank you that you know and see every single person in the room today on a What do you mean fresh? Ah, I... deep level that you know them, that you created them. And you want to set people free today, and only you can do that, Jesus. So come and have your way. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, uh, we're reading from Psalm 16. This is in the message translation. Some of you are like, oh, the message. So first of all, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Even Eugene Peterson said that. So don't call it a translation because even the creator of it didn't call it a translation. Two, people have a right to scoff at it because you're going to about to see that it doesn't line up with any Bible translation ever. And it, 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 it doesn't even sound like Psalm 16. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm already a little worked up. So <sighs> let's just, let's just, let's just take a look. It says, keep me safe. Actually, why don't we stand together as you read? Ugh. It says, keep me safe, O God. I've run for dear life to you. I say to God, be my Lord. Without you, nothing makes sense. Hey, um, you could have like, uh, you could have like a Bible, right? On the stand. And then you wouldn't have to like look behind you and in front of you and all around you. Because you would just have a Bible in front of you. Now... Let's look at Psalm 16 in the LSB, and we're also going to look at it in um, in the New Living Translation, which I was going to put up, but I'll just flip to it uh, for the sake of time. So, verse 1, hold on. Oh, no. I went... Uh, so, Psalm... 16, 1 and 2. Keep me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Keep me safe, O God, I've run for dear life to you. Um, I mean, we're off to not a great start. The I've run for dear life things probably like a little bit of uh, over-embellishment, but um, it's not, it's not, it's not like, it's not off to like the worst you know, it's not the worst, it's not the worst thing ever yet. Um, 
O my soul, you have said to Yahweh, You are my Lord. I have no good without you. Um, I say to God, so there's no soul talking. Oh, see, because that part's italicized. Um, um, so, sorry, I got a text message there. Uh, where was I going to get to? Yeah, so, oh, my soul is in italics. That means it's not in the original text, but the implication is going to be that he's saying, oh, my soul there. Uh, so Eugene just gets rid of that. So it just says, I say to God, okay, okay. I don't, I don't know enough about Hebrew to have that debate. You have said to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have no good without you. Um, be my Lord without you. Nothing makes sense. I have no good without you. Nothing makes sense. So see how there's already a difference there in the Bible. And I'm not making my normal LSB joke. In in an actual Bible, there is no good for someone apart from God. In this, God just brings clarity. Let's see what the NLT says. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. Okay, okay, not bad. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. Okay, uh, okay. N not the worst. Um, so anyway, uh, let's, let's, let's keep reading. Amen. So like I said, uh, we're reading from Psalm 16. This is in the message translation. Some of you are like, oh, the message. I promise you'll survive. It says, keep me safe. Actually, why don't we stand together as you read? Do you think that she actually even knows the issues with the message, like what the controversy is? Or does she just write off any criticism that comes towards it uh, as, as, you know, just like a hater or something? It says, keep me safe, oh God. I've run for dear life to you. I say to God, be my Lord. Without you, nothing makes sense. And these God-chosen lives all around, what splendid friends they make. So, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. What splendid I don't even I don't even know how that's similar at all. What does the NLT say there for verse 3? The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Duh. Duh. It's not, it's not great. Don't just go shopping for a god. Oh. Gods are not for sale. I swear I'll never treat god names like brand names. Ooh. My choice is you, God, first and only. So... She gets really excited about that brand name thing. Uh, let's 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 see what um, let's see what uh, verse five actually says. 
Yahweh is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my inheritance is beautiful to me. And she's got... Sorry, hold on. I'm just scrolling back here. She's got... Don't just go shopping for a god. Gods are not for sale. I swear I'll never treat god names like brand names. My choice is you, God, first and only. Yahweh is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my inheritance is beautiful to me. So, like, there is nothing. There is nothing about that that is the same as an actual translation. This is an entirely different verse. And this is what gets her uh, squealing, I guess. She's excited. Uh, Don't treat God names like brand names. That's what gets her excited. This has nothing to do with the Bible. This verse is, is not from a Bible translation. It's just words. Um... Look at even what the NLT says. Um, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. Your, you guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. So yeah, you can get the same thing. Like, you can, you can understand what the NLT is doing as it's not even a literal translation, but you can extract the Bible from it, at least, more than what this woman is is reading. Sorry, I went to the wrong screen. Gods are not for sale. I swear I'll never treat God names like brand names. My choice is you, God, first... And only. And now I find I'm your choice. You set me up with a house and a yard, and then you made me your heir. So one thing, there's a typo on the screen. It says NLT, but it's it's not. It's still the message. Um, and this is six and seven. The wise counsel God gives when I'm awake is confirmed by my sleeping heart. So Psalm sixteen, uh, seven and eight. I will bless Yahweh who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set Yahweh continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. I saw a reference to a heart there. Uh, 56. So... She said, and now I find I'm your choice. Uh, I will bless Yahweh who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. Nothing about God choosing. Choosing. Choosing David. You set me up with a house and yard. Um, uh, Let's see here. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Uh, my flesh also will dwell securely. 
I guess that's the house and yard because he's dwelling securely. I, I just, just it, there's nothing here that is the same as a Bible. Nothing. It's when I'm awake is confirmed by my sleeping heart. Day and night, I'll stick with you. I've got a good thing going, and I'm not letting go. I've got a good thing going, and I'm not letting go. So let's see what verse 9 actually says. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. I guess that's the I've got a good thing going. Um, uh, and then uh, my flesh also will dwell securely. In the LSB, for you will not forsake my soul to Sheol. Sorry, that's verse 10. So let's hear this. Oh, so here's here's where she gets the sermon title from. I am happy from the inside out. And from the outside in, I'm fully formed. It's I'm firmly formed uh, on the screen there. I'm not sure if that's a typo or if she got it right. Um, uh, so, hold on. Oh, what did that say? I got to go back here. Like, uh, day and night, I'll stick with you. I am from the inside out and from the outside in, I'm firmly formed. Um, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. There's, there's nothing in common with a Bible. And from the outside in, I'm fully formed. You canceled my ticket to hell. That's not my destination. Okay, so here we go. Uh, for you will not forsake my soul to Sheol. You will not give your Holy One over to see corruption. Now you've got my feet on the life path, all radiant from the shining of your face. Ever since you took my hand, I'm on the right way. You will make known to me the path of life. So the word path is there. Life path. Okay. Um... In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Okay, so uh, Eugene Peterson is conflating the word Sheol with hell. So that's a problem. Um, um, and it says, you will not forsake my soul to Sheol. So that's an interesting thing. You canceled my ticket to hell. That's not That's not what this is teaching. Uh the Old Testament view of the afterlife is not uh, just a heaven and hell thing. Um, basically, there is one place of the dead uh, that is is revealed in the Old Testament, and that is Sheol. Um, and there's a divide in Sheol, from what we can tell. One of those places would be a place of torment, and another place would be a place of rest. Um there are very few Bible translations that would deal with this, that would deal with this as the word hell. Um, Sheol is not hell. Hell is usually used in the New Testament for the word Gehenna, which is the place that will be filled with fire and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so, David is not saying, thank you for getting me out of hell, especially because we know in other Psalms and other sections of the Bible that David talks about going down to Sheol. So it can't be talking about forsaking his ticket to hell if Sheol means, or 
if hell means Sheol, then David can't be ever talking about going there to rest. I believe when his child with Bathsheba dies, he says that he will see him in Sheol. I could be wrong about that. I didn't look it up. This I'm just spitballing right now. But if that's hell, then that means David's going to hell where his baby is. I don't think anyone wants to touch that one with a ten, with a ten foot ball right now. You know, so I don't think that that is a, a good translation, as you can tell. So good. It's not it. good. It's really bad. You know what I love about David is if you've you know heard of David before, you probably know him for fighting Goliath, which is such an incredible story. But what I really like about David is that he's super relatable. He did fight a giant, and it's an incredible story. Um, but back it up to the beginning of his life, he was just a shepherd boy. He was the youngest sibling in the family. And um, it says that he wasn't really often picked first for much. He wasn't perhaps thought of as the first choice or... I would think okay so it's not that he's not thought of as the first choice the point is is that he's in the youngest and he's attending to the field and when samuel comes to anoint a new king um obviously the son or the, the uh, his dad and um and also samuel don't think it's going to be the one off in the field who's the youngest. They think it's going to be one of the big, strong men. So this has nothing to do with like, oh, David was often picked last. That has nothing to do with the Bible story. David is picked last because one, he's not even there. Two, he's like basically a little kid compared to the other sons. Um, so yes, there is a message there about God using those who are least likely, but David wasn't this person who was left out of things. Um, it, it's that he's the youngest. That's that's the message. Maybe he could have struggled with feeling like, man, why why aren't I ever chosen? So why are you injecting this onto David? This is what she just said. Maybe he struggled with feeling like why wasn't he ever chosen that is irrelevant to anything that's taught in scripture it's not in the bible why are you putting feelings on david the only thing that anyone could come to a conclusion to once they figure out that that's what you're doing um is that you're doing this to deliberately teach something that you want to teach david the, there is no message in the Bible that teaches about how David would have struggled with feeling left out of things. That's preposterous. Does anybody ever notice me? Still talking about David. How David could have been feeling. And so I love the Psalms and his honesty. So see, you're supposed to relate to how David's feeling based on a fake description of how J David felt. It's fake. This isn't real. There's no evidence that he felt like that. In how he writes. And this whole psalm, um, this one in particular, is this one of um, this joyful confidence in the Lord. My first point today, if you're taking notes, is a simple one. It's that joyful people are grateful people we're just at her first point and let me reiterate joyful people are grateful people so 
make sure that you're always being grateful and you will be filled with joy. That's what she's about to teach us. I, uh, I didn't grow up in church. Um, I'm now, one, you could make the argument that a good example of this would be Paul, um, who is grateful to be in service of the Lord and is filled with joy even though he's in jail. But she doesn't go there or anything like that. I'm sure many of you have heard me mention that before. Um, but now I genuinely look forward to going to church every Sunday. I look forward to being in the house of God, to being at youth, to my small group. Uh, but so she didn't grow up in the church, but now she really likes it, is what she's saying. If I could just be honest, we're all friends here. Sometimes I think that Christians are a little too serious, some. Like, you ever meet someone who is a Christian, you're like, my goodness, why don't you smile a little bit? So now she's going after, you know, probably people, like, I would be lumped into this group for sure. But here's the thing, if you meet a Christian, right, like me, who who takes the Bible extremely seriously and believes it uh, completely and totally, um, then I'm not going to be smiling when you tell me that you're a youth pastor. No, because you're in disobedience to the God that I love. Right. So, so yes, sometimes we're kind of serious when you meet us. Some people and myself included, we forget that it is the good news of the gospel. What is it? What's the good news of the gospel real quick, please, please, please Savannah. If that is your name, I look, I am begging you, Savannah, please tell them what the good news of the gospel is. You have the opportunity here. Now you've set it all up. Even if you've abused some Bible verses, we will forgive that. If now that you've talked about the good news of the gospel, you now explain what the gospel is. Please explain the gospel, Savannah, please. I'm begging you. Not the bad news. I know that there are times we need to be serious. But Game over. Man, it's gone. She's already over it. It would change their worlds. Do you know? So she immediately switches to let's laugh more and that will make us feel better. Now she's going to talk about how smiling decreases wrinkles. Well, that laughter can reduce blood pressure. It can reduce anxiety. When we laugh, we actually move. She's got notes for this. Just so we're clear. She's got notes for all these scientific facts about laughing. Um, but she has rarely looked at her stand uh, at, at other times. 12 muscles in our face. And when we talk and laugh at the same time, that number increases to 84 muscles. And actually, I work in the makeup skincare world part-time as well. And so it is said that laughter can reduce wrinkles in your face as you age. It's a pretty good benefit if you ask me. So why don't we all just, you know, try it for a moment. The talking and the laughter. Talk and laugh amongst yourselves. Give it a shot. It's a little pathetic, but we'll take it. Sorry, I missed that last little part. I'm not part. saying we need to ignore what's going on in the world around us, but some of us... Sorry, I missed something. Actually, I can tell that she probably does work in the makeup skincare uh, world. I am not being sarcastic. Uh, from the live stream video, you can tell that her makeup is, is really good. Um, uh, it's not over the top. Uh, it's accentuating her cheekbones well. Like You can tell that this girl does her makeup well because um, she looks very radiant and lovely. So... Uh, 
you can tell that she's uh she knows how to put on makeup but it said that laughter can reduce wrinkles in your face as you age it's a pretty good benefit if you ask me so why don't we all just you know try it for a moment the talking and the laughter talk and laugh amongst yourselves give it a shot It's a little pathetic, but we'll take it. Oh my goodness. That's because it's awkward and uncomfortable. People don't want to pretend to laugh with you right now. Give them the gospel. You just brought it up. Why aren't you talking about it yet? I'm not saying we need to ignore what's going on in the world around us, but some of us are watching Netflix for 72 hours a day and we're wondering why we're not feeling so joyful. You know that what we I mean that is true. She's about to talk about how, like, what you fill your head with will affect you. Absolutely. If you're watching Netflix shows all day and watching tons of garbage, your spiritual life will suffer. So she gets one point right there for that. Consume, and what we allow into our minds massively impacts our emotions, how we feel physically. (sighs) I'll even go as far to say the food we eat. What we consume, all of those things play a part in how we feel. Now, I know it's not always that simple, but the simple principle of what we allow to fill our minds on a day-to-day basis, we got to recognize that massively affects our emotions, everything about how we do our day-to-day lives. I believe that joyful people are grateful people, and I challenge you. If you were to spend two minutes at the beginning of your day telling God what you're grateful for, man, just watch how you feel. Watch how it changes your day, how it changes the way you converse with. See, so see how joy is based on like, uh, like, like complete and total feelings. And also she's, she's reversing it. So joyful people are grateful people. Now she said, now she's basically coaching you to go out and, 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 and pray and be really grateful for everything that God has given you and focus on being grateful and you will then be more joyful. So she's kind of working it in reverse there. Um, but also, um, what she is actually doing is placing a burden on people, um, that is anti-gospel. Okay. She is burdening them, um, and basically making them feel like it, like, so you're in that audience right now and you're not joyful and you're not grateful. And so you go home and you, 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 you go through the motions of trying to make yourself feel more grateful. Lord, thank you for this cup of coffee and thank you for my cat and thank you for, um, my Lord, Lord of the Rings anthology and thank you for, um, you know, um, this, this new message translation I got from church for free, whatever it is. Right. And, and you still don't feel joyful. The the message that's going to be, uh, coming across is that there's something wrong with you or that's what you're going to feel. And so at its core, what this is being, what is being taught here is works based, go out and force yourself to be grateful and you will have joy but if you don't do what i tell you you're not going to have joy people and be specific i came home the other day i woke up the day after getting back from a vacation a couple weeks ago and i had so much laundry i was like just stared at it for like five minutes i don't know if you ever do that 
my house was a mess, and I was thinking about all the things I had to do, and I felt like God stopped me in my tracks, and I looked at my suitcase that was full, and it was like God reminded me, like, that suitcase is full, and you have all that laundry because you spent time with people, and you did some things, and you laughed, and then I started to remember all the things that I did when I wore those clothes that are now dirty, and it feels like a task, and somehow all those things that I could have been grateful for felt like a weight. Can you imagine the trivialness of, 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 of what she's saying right now? I came home and I was bummed out that my laundry wasn't done. So then I had to remind myself of all the great things that I had just done over the weekend. And that's why the laundry was pulled up, was, 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 was all out and dirty because I was living such a great lifestyle for the last couple days. And that's why all the laundry accumulated. And so I had to focus on how amazing my life had just been just so I could get through looking at a pile of laundry girl, you are not joyful. If you have to do this, if you have to do this to get through a pile of laundry, you are not joyful. I hate laundry too. Laundry has been a point of contention in our house even at some points. But but you had to remind yourself of all the great things you'd done that week so you could get through your laundry? That doesn't sound like joy. That sounds like you're trying to convince yourself. Do you ever feel like that? Spend two minutes at the beginning of your day. God, thank you for my health. Do you know not everyone has the privilege of waking up and saying, man, I'm healthy. God, thank you that I have breath in my lungs today. God, thank you for my family. Thank you for my friendships that I have people to laugh with. God, thank you for my country. God, thank you that I get to live in the nation of Canada. God, thank you for my teachers. God, thank you for my boss. I bless him today. God, thank you for my favorite cereal, whatever it is. Be specific, the little things, the big things. Why? Because joyful people are grateful people it is simple but it is revolutionary and it is undervalued and not done nearly enough to god to each other joyful people are grateful people my second point today is that you can find joy in the turbulence david found joy in the turbulence he did not always have it easy okay so um is this something from Psalm 16? Um, because I, I just want to know where, where David had turbulence. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm just saying, like, where, what are we, where, where are you extracting this thing about David from? That's all. I just want to know. I really don't like heights. I've never liked heights. Uh, see, so heights. check it out. David faced turbulence and she uses that word turbulence um as a precursor to her story about how she's scared of flying um and, but when and and she's usually can get herself through it but but when she but when when turbulence comes she has to focus on 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 something uh more stable than herself and that's the flight attendant who's not worried looking um and so david was in turbulence and hey she's been through turbulence and we've all been through turbulence together and 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 she only used the word turbulence about david so she could talk about being on a plane right and so when i'm on the plane if i can i try and sit in the aisle seat so i don't have to look out the window 
I, I just want to get through the flight. But when there's turbulence, just take me now, Lord. I'm like ready to go be with Jesus. I'm convinced we're going down. But I've gotten the practice of doing this thing where if there's turbulence, I will just look at the flight attendant. I will, I will look at the flight attendant's face. I don't care who I have to like lean on, what I have to do to make sure that I can see her face. Why? Because I'm pretty sure if we were going down, she would be showing some sort of panic. So normally their face is quite unbothered for the most part. And so if she's okay, I, I know that likely I'm okay too. Where do your eyes go when things get a little bit turbulent? Whether you like it or not, your attention and your focus goes somewhere. When life gets a little bit tough, when you experience some pain, when you experience loss, when you experience disappointment, I want you to think about it for yourself. Where do your eyes go? Where do you look? When things get a little bit turbulent. I look to Jesus. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what she's about to say. Which, guess what? They will get a little bit turbulent. I had a friend a few years ago who was one of the most joyful people I had ever met. Hold on. So just, this is another pretty sad story, and it's another anecdotal story. This this one is is pretty interesting. But before that, um, oh, man, I actually forgot what I was going to say. Um. Oh, anecdotal, uh, turbulent, turbulent, turbulent. Wouldn't it just be better if, like, you wouldn't have to come up with all these personal stories just to get through one message? Um, if you just went through a text and taught the people what it said and exegeted it and used it to preach Christ to people. And rightly handled the word. You wouldn't need to come up with all these stories and analogies and using the word turbulent to talk about David so that you could talk about being stuck on a plane and being scared of heights. You wouldn't have to come up with all of that stuff if you just taught the Bible. Right? And I remember he got a phone call. We were all hanging out with a bunch of us friends and he got a phone call that his mom passed away suddenly. And nobody really knew what to say. And this guy got down on his knees. It was the weirdest thing. I've never seen anything like it. And started to worship. And everyone who was standing around began to just cry because that's not normal. Now, that is a very interesting story. And I would never want to be flippant towards anyone who uh, who, who lost their mother. So I'm not... I'm not going to speak on that too much because I don't want to. I don't want to come across as callous. One thing I will point out, though, is that um, a common thread that has weaved itself across Christianity is that worshiping, because she says he got on his knees and started worshiping. Worshiping is uh, singing. That is, that is what worship is. Worship is music. Worship is singing. Um, 
I, I, maybe that's not what she means here specifically, but generally speaking, worshiping means music. And so uh, what I picture in my head is this guy got down on his knees and started singing praises to God. And you know what? Um, I don't really have any problem with that other, other than the music thing. I just wanted to point that out. Um, we should be rejoicing in our suffering. Um, we should be, uh, if, 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 if our parents are believers, we should be rejoicing in the fact that they're going home to be with the Lord. Um, and we should be thankful to God for all the things that he's given us and the per people that he's given us. And that, that person that has passed away given give, uh, that he's given them to us for the time that we had with them. And so I don't, I don't have a problem with, with this, with this part really at all. Um, it, it, it could have been like, it probably was a really powerful moment for everybody. Of losing his mom gosh but I'm willing to bet that he had put some practices in his life that when things got turbulent in his world that his eyes were fixed on Jesus it didn't take away from the pain of the loss but his immediate res response was to fall to his knees beautiful worship God he may not have had the words or a certain prayer to pray. and again I don't want to I, I don't want to come across as mean-spirited but youth pastor girl my friend how do we fix our eyes on jesus is it just something we just wake up and do and try really hard to do every day or does something need to happen to us first i'm gonna get through this whole sermon whether it takes two hours or not Cray, that was articulate and well crafted but he knew his only hope was to look to the only one who could give him hope, who could give him joy, who could give him peace in the deepest place. How does he give you joy? How does he give you peace? Of pain. Jesus doesn't promise an easy life, but he promises to be with us, to never let go of our hand, to walk with us in the deepest valleys and on the highest mountaintops. He will never leave you or forsake you, but it is your choice to lift your eyes off of what's going on around you no matter how hard it gets and to fix them on jesus the one who does not change who is a firm foundation get it together and focus on jesus right now see how it's the emphasis is on you it's on you to work and to strive to fix your eyes on jesus now, that might not be inherently wrong, but without the gospel, without the message of salvation first, this is all just telling people to work harder and try and follow Jesus harder. And you haven't given them the thing that allows them to follow Jesus. Who will uphold you when you don't have strength, who in your weakness is strong who will give you a joy that does not make sense. It is not the power of positive thinking. Is it, it is not. If you turn your eyes on Jesus, he will give you a joy that doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. But I'm not going to tell you how to be saved by him. Saying a few things like this thing that's so popular right now of positive thinking. I get it. It's real. 
But positive thinking is not the same as the power and hope and spirit of God that fills you when you fix your eyes on him. Agreed. But what you are teaching is the power of positive thoughts, but with Jesus as the mechanism as to how that will make you feel better. Um, and so again, you've told us that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit when you turn your eyes on Jesus, and yet we're still not going to get to hear how one would do that. It's not the same. There is joy and can be joy in the turbulence when we fix our eyes on Jesus. I'm going to invite the, the keys up, if that's okay, my girl Talitha. So this is a really common thing, and um, it's, it's to manipulate you emotionally. So they're now going to set the mood with music as she finishes her message, um, and, and it, it sets the tone, and you're going to even hear her cadence change uh, as she starts talking over this music. My final point this morning is that joy comes from the inside out. David says, I'm happy from the inside out. Joy comes from the inside out. Absolutely not. 100% no. Um, just because the message says, I'm happy from the inside out, does not mean that joy comes from the inside out. And also, joy and happiness are not the same things, obviously. Um, how Joy comes from following Christ and believing on him our hope is in the Lord he is our only hope he is our rock of salvation he is who we turn to in times of trouble my source of joy comes from the outside his name is Jesus Christ and he is the only thing that gives me joy so no joy does not come from the inside that is Mm, do I want to be this harsh? <sighs> that sounds satanic to me. Joy comes from an external source, God. People that look within for their joy, that is what Satanism teaches. Now, I know you just finished saying, turn your eyes on Jesus, but then you said joy comes from the inside. Is that because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and so therefore joy is coming from the inside of you because that's where the Holy Spirit lives? I don't know, but that's not how, that's, it just sounds like you're inconsistent. And from the outside in, I'm fully formed. You know, whether you know it or not, we all worship something and we know that we become like what we worship. Okay, true. We think of the idols and old Bible times and we talked about this at youth on Friday night and you know we think of the golden calves and we said yeah but there are some idols in our world and in our life today too right some of those even good things that we talked about at the beginning here comes the emotional manipulation one last question today here comes I want to ask you what is in your God spot oh some of you are like, Serena, what is a God spot? Well, the best way that I could explain it is like this. Another thing I don't like in addition to turbulence and heights, 
Apparently I'm showing all the things I don't like today. Is puzzles. To the core of my being, I don't like or enjoy or understand why people like doing puzzles. Nonetheless, my siblings... With her very last breath, she is giving us another anecdotal story that no one cares about. Just teach these people the Bible. I love puzzles, and so occasionally you'll find me at the dinner table doing a puzzle because I love them. I'm a little on the impatient side. Those of you who know me know that. Someone's wondering what the God spot is. She's basically going to do the, like, God created you with a God-shaped hole in your heart. Um, and only he's the one that can fill it. And so the idols that you have in your lives, you're trying to fill that God hole in your heart and, uh, it's not going to work. Um, you need God to fill the hole in your heart. That's, that's what she's going to do. And I'll normally get to the point, you know, you've been working on one of those, like a thousand piece puzzles and there's some spaces left. Oh my goodness, man. Dunzo at this point. And there's a hole in the puzzle. (laughs) Just laughing at a comment. Sorry. And I'll put it in the hole. And I'll just. I said, we we finished the puzzle. But really, you know that there is only one piece that was meant to fit in that spot. There was actually, out of all those pieces, only one piece that was carved out to fit. In that space. But I sometimes it's God shaped. It's God shaped puzzle piece. God's this little piece in, missing in your life. It's the same with us. There is a hole carved by the one who made you. And the only person who fits perfectly in that hole and in that spot and in that space. Is Jesus. Could you give me a chapter and verse for the God hole puzzle piece reference? I just want to know where it says that Jesus is the perfectly shaped thing to fit in your missing heart puzzle piece. I just, where do you, I want to know where you got that from. You can try if you want to. With sports, with friends, with career. With money, I'm not saying these things are bad things. But the moment... Being a female pastor, you could fill that spot with. Right? Because if you're in disobedience to God uh, by preaching to congregations, uh, you're filling your, your God puzzle piece with female pastor and you're not putting Christ in his rightful place in your heart. Now, this is according to your theology, right? Um you know, with some more biblical authority. I'm not trying to be condescending, but this is just so bad. This is hurting people. Honestly, you're burdening them and not giving them the way out. And so are you just missing a God hole? You just got a God piece missing. Like, do you know what it says about humans? And I know everyone who listens to this does. Um, but, but for people that don't listen to me all the time, I often go to Romans three. It is Romans one to three is like the basis 
for many, many issues that, that come up because it all deals with uh, human nature and how they're getting it wrong. And so your life is okay, but it's missing something. It's missing something. She never says that replacing God with a sport is a sin. She just says, well, sports aren't necessarily bad, but it's not good when you replace God with it, right? That's idolatry, and idolatry is a sin. Now, are you just living pretty good, um, but you need to fill that God-shaped hole? Is that what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible teaches that you are a reprobate born in opposition to God and that you hate him until he decides to save you and give you a new heart. You don't have a little piece missing from your heart. Your heart is concrete. It's cold, dead, and rock hard until God makes it alive and gives you a new heart of flesh. Look what Romans 3 says, as it is written, talking about the sinfulness of man. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so what is happening here? What is this teaching? This is not teaching that you just have a little God puzzle piece missing from your heart. You hate God until he changes you. You are in opposition to God with every fiber of your being until he takes you and makes you a new creation in his son, Christ. And so let's carry on. You try and fit something in your God spot that can only be filled by King Jesus. It will never fit. You could have the most money, you could hit every goal you've ever wanted to work towards, you could marry the perfect spouse, you could buy your dream home, you could travel the world, you could do it all, and I promise you, you will be empty. If there is something in that God spot that is not Jesus himself. How do we get Jesus there? Quick. Anything in that God spot that is not God becomes what? An idol. I heard a podcast this week and it defined codependency as the need for something outside of ourselves to make us happy. And that could be with a person, but it also could be with a paycheck, a career, any of those things that we have talked about. I'm not codependent on God for my happiness. I am wholly and completely dependent on him for my happiness. Now, that's not what you're saying. You're talking about codependency on things that are of the world. But um, happiness does not come from inside you. It comes from God. God gives us everything that we have. Right? Desire becomes idolatry when something substitutes God. Fair. Okay, good. Yes. I want to ask you today, what's in your God spot? 
for some people in a moment. <laughs> because I believe that prayer changes things. What about being saved by the gospel? For some of you today, God is whispering to you and showing you, you know what? You have a good thing in a place that can only be filled by me. And that's nothing to feel shame about, but it's actually an opportunity for... See how, like, it's so softened? Like, what you love is good. And that's really awesome. But... But, but, but you're replacing it with... You're replacing me with it. And so that's not good. Come on, man. And so I guess this all ties into, like, the, like, God loves what makes you happy... So I guess it's like God loves what makes you happy as long as you're not putting it in the Jesus-shaped hole that's in your heart. Then that's not good. But she doesn't actually get there. I don't know if it actually ever came full circle. I'm just putting that together now as I listen to this. For us to recognize and say, God, would you take that thing off the throne of my heart and replace it with you? And that's something we can do on the daily. God, is there anything in me that I've tried to shove in that God spot, that I've tried to make fit, that I've convinced myself will make me happy. God, would you let it come crumbling down? For some of you today, like I said, maybe you've walked through a really heavy season and you can't even remember what it feels like to feel joy. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Maybe he has for a while. This is your confirmation that you need to ask for help. You need to ask for help. And then for others of you in the room today, maybe you haven't felt joy. You're not even sure why. Oh my goodness. I believe God wants to break that off of you today. And that you're going to walk out of this room feeling lighter. In freedom. With peace and a joy that does not make sense. And your situation may not change immediately. Maybe you are going through a deep valley of pain and loss and heartache. But if you let him, God will fill you with a joy in that place that does not make sense. Why don't we all stand together? And I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. Okay, we're almost done. For some of you, it might feel like when you've been inside with the curtains closed... You ever been inside with the curtain closed on a beautiful sunny day and you're kind of in the dark for whatever reason, maybe you're working or whatever, and you open your front door, you open the blinds and the, and the light comes in and you're like, oh my gosh. Or you step outside. And okay, like, you know what? I'm going to give you guys a uh, spoiler alert. Um, I'm closing this now. So she never preaches the gospel. She never explains the gospel. She alludes to it once. She says, the good news is the gospel. What is the good news? What is it? Tell me what it is. I'm going to hell if I die. And you spent an hour or whatever, however long it was, because I'm pausing it and stuff. You spent 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 26 minutes. I don't remember what it is, but telling me to follow Christ without giving me the means to do so because I am dead in my sins. And you didn't give me the way out. Now, one thing you'll learn about these churches, this church, is it is completely and totally oriented to Sunday mornings being for attracting new people. 
that means that it should be the most evangelistic church possible, correct? Or no? Yes, it should be. It should be completely and totally gospel-focused. If you believe that the Sunday morning church service is for bringing in new people, then why are you burdening them, telling them to follow Christ, without giving them the means to do so? What are the means to follow Christ? Well, first, we've already dealt with it. How, what, what are you in? What situation are you in right now if you're an unbeliever? You're dead. You're a dead, bloated corpse. You're, you've been dead your whole life. Spiritually dead. You live in sin. You love sin. You have worked ho- your life hostile to God. You were going away into the pits of hell, living your own life, resisting him, doing what you want, blaspheming him, not giving him the glory that he deserves, spitting on his gifts to you. And that is how you've lived your life up until this point. But there is good news. You have sinned against the holy and righteous God that has created you. And yet he offers you his hand of friendship, of salvation. He wants to take you and lift you out of the mud, out of the mire, and give you brand new clothes and make you new. Right? What does that look like? That looks like when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come down and be the perfect sacrifice for sins because he lived the perfect life that you can't. And so when he went to the cross, he took the sins of all those who would believe upon himself and he put to death those sins, paid the punishment that you no longer have to pay. And if you turn to Christ today and you say, God, please forgive me, I have sinned. Lord, I believe on your sacrifices and that you have died for me. I repent of my sin. I only want to follow you. Lord, thank you for saving me. If you say those things, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised from the dead after three days, if you believe those things truly in your heart, then you will be saved of your sin. Turn to him today. He offers you a new life. You have no other hope. There is no hope on the inside. There is no joy coming from within. Christ is the only thing that can give you happiness. And when we looked at Philippians, what did we see? We saw a man in shackles and he was rejoicing that him, his imprisonment, that Paul's imprisonment was bringing more people to Christ and emboldening Christians. That's what you can have joy in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guys, I pray, let's, you pray for this girl. I believe her name's Savannah. I don't know how it's pronounced. She's a youth pastor at C3 Calgary. Don't go harass their Facebook page or anything like that. Just pray for her. That she would have a moment of clarity. And that she would get to hear and receive the gospel and believe it. Because she's never, she doesn't know it. 
she doesn't focus on it so it doesn't seem like she knows it and if she does know it she's accountable for the fact that she's not giving it to people when she has the opportunity when they are listening to everything she's they are there to listen to her talk she's not giving them the gospel so lord let's pray for her pray for her that she would repent of her sin turn to christ right now and walk away from this ministry position that she should not be in don't be in opposition to god turn to christ right now and with that i am ending this live stream